0: Well, we continue our six-part series this morning called Habits of Grace. And every week we've been taking a different habit, a different spiritual discipline that we hope is evident in the life of a believer, in the life of someone who has been transformed by the grace of God. What are the habits of grace that we pray are manifested in the life of that individual? First week we looked at the habit of studying and listening to the Word of God. Second week, we talked about the habit of sharing the Word of God with one another, which is known as evangelism, sharing that good news. And last week, we looked at the habit of worship. And this morning, we're going to be looking at what does the habit of prayer look like in the life of a believer? And as always, throughout this series, we want to draw your attention to the resources in your bulletin right underneath the pastor's welcome. We are identifying eight to ten resources uh, for you that correspond with the habit that we are studying this week. Hopefully resources that will help you in your journey and in your personal relationship with Jesus Christ as you understand how this habit is to be manifested In your life. And this morning we are going to be looking at Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 15. And it's in Matthew chapter 6 that we find what we recite every Sunday the Lord's Prayer. It's the most famous part of the most famous sermon in history. Matthew 6 is part of a larger portion of Scripture known as the Sermon on the Mount which is found in Matthew Matthew 5 through 7. And right in the midst of the Sermon on the Mount, as I said, the most, most famous sermon ever preached is probably the most famous passage in the most sermon most famous sermon ever preached. Right there in Matthew chapter 6, we have the Lord's Prayer. Catechisms which is a word which has been known throughout church history for summarizing the Christian faith, the foundations of the Christian faith. And catechisms have always been used to summarize the Christian faith to teach new believers what we believe. And it was often said that part in the heart and the soul of every catechism was the Lord's Prayer, the Apostles' Creed, and the Ten Commandments. Because they believe that if we were able to memorize the Lord's Prayer, the Apostles' Creed, and the Ten Commandments, that would give you a great glimpse to what an understanding of what the Christian faith was all about. So we'll take a part of that great catechism straight from Scripture this morning, Matthew chapter 6, as we discover the habit of prayer. Matthew chapter 6, verse 5 through 15. Hear the Word of God. empty phrases that the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask. Pray then like this, Our Father, in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we for have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our Lord, it stands forever. Amen. Have you ever encountered someone and you were at a complete loss for words? You could run into a celebrity, a politician, an athlete, and you know everything about them. You always talk about them. You study them. You know them. You listen to them. You watch them. You admire them from afar. But then you finally get that chance, that chance you've been waiting for, to actually talk to them. And you have no idea what to say. You could talk about them all the time, know everything about them. But when you encounter them and you're face-to-face with them, you're at a complete loss for words. I think this is a lot like our relationship with God. We sing to God, about God every Sunday. We talk about God. We know about God. We read about God. We study things about God. And then God says, you can talk to me. We could actually have a relationship where you speak to me and it seems like we're at a complete loss for words the apostles were attracted to jesus for many things they were attracted to jesus because of his power because of his miracles because of his healings but as the apostles drew closer to jesus they wanted to know one thing lord teach us how to pray Lord, teach us how to talk to you. And so I pray that for the few minutes we have left together this morning, that God would do that very thing. Lord, would you teach us how to pray? I want us to look at three things briefly this morning as we discover what does the habit of prayer look like in the life of of a person that has been transformed by the grace of God. I think there's three things that we can identify here amongst many, but three things in particular that I want to point out in the passage that we read together. The first thing that we see is we see that which is fundamental to prayer. the, the Jesus helps answer the question, that which is fundamental, that which is foundational to prayer Jesus wants us to understand who we're talking to. He wants us to understand in prayer who we're communicating with. Are we communicating with 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 a condemning judge? Are, are, we, are we communicating with with God who's like a boss? That when things go well, we can't wait to see the boss, right, and be celebrated. But when things don't go very well, the boss is the last person we want to see and we want to go run and hide, right? Often, don't we treat God like this? Boy, if I really mess up in life or things aren't going as planned, I mean, God doesn't want to hear from me. And so often, we think of God like a condemning judge or we think of God like a boss A conditional boss who rewards us when things go well and withholds his love and favor from us when things don't go so well. But what does Jesus say who God is here in Matthew chapter 6? Six times, just in the passage we just read, he called God what? Our Father. You see, what is foundational to prayer is understanding that we are speaking to God as Father, not as a condemning judge, not as a conditional boss, but we are speaking to God as Father. And if we don't understand that we are speaking to God as Father, we will never understand the fundamentals of prayer. We will never understand the foundations of prayer, that we go to God as Father. And he not only says God as Father, but he says your Father, our Father, six times. We have to understand that this is a grace-based family relationship with God as Father. And it's not so much prayer as getting, but it's so much about prayer is about the relationship between a child and their father. And they use this name, Father, to communicate the relationship that we have experienced and been graced with, and that we'll never understand the, the power of prayer or even our approach to prayer unless we understand that we are praying to God as Father. So, first and foremost, we have to understand that we are going to God not as condemning judge, not as conditional boss, but as our Father. That is absolutely fundamental and foundational. Prayer. We are praying to God, our Father. The second thing that I want to point out in this passage concerning prayer is not only that which is foundational to prayer, but Jesus gives us the substance of prayer. He gives us a a paradigm that I think is helpful and useful in prayer. Now, Jesus doesn't say every time you pray, you have to necessarily pray this prayer, but he says when you do pray, this is the model, this is the paradigm, this is how I want you to pray, pray like this. And Jesus gives us, in my opinion, a very helpful paradigm, a very helpful model as we unpack the substance of prayer the first thing that we see in the prayer that Jesus taught His disciples to pray is it's full of adoration. In verse 9, well, how does Jesus begin the prayer? By asking? by asking? By asking God to give us stuff? No. He begins by adoration. So the first thing that we see in, in the prayer that Jesus taught His disciples to pray was it's full of adoration. It begins with adoration. And would our prayers begin with adoring God and praising God? You notice in this prayer that Jesus doesn't teach us to ask for anything until the very end of the prayer. That our prayers are to be full and to begin with adoring God and praising God for who He is. What kind of language does He use in verse 9 as He opens this prayer? He uses language like, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be Your name. What does it mean for his name to be hallowed? It means that his, his name is the name above all names, that his name is holy and majestic. His name is set apart. That he, God wants us, Jesus wants us to understand that when we pray to God, that we are praying to God in heaven, that he is our heavenly Father. He is in the heavens, and we are to praise him and adore him for who he is, the heavenly Father who's hallowed and majestic and holy and glorious. And it's the main thing that we are to pray for, to praise God and to adore God. This should fill our prayers. Unfortunately, 95% of prayer groups in the North American church fill their time and absorb almost all of their time by asking God for things instead of adoring God for who He is. And Jesus sets that paradigm upside down and he says, before you ask for anything, praise Him for who He is. Now you might ask yourself, but this just doesn't seem very practical. I've got bills to pay and relationships to restore. I've got ends to meet every day. I've got stuff to do. I've got a laundry list for God. And it doesn't seem very practical to spend the majority of my time praising God and adoring God when I've got things I need to ask of Him. But it's actually the most practical thing you can do. What? What? How could spending my time praising God for who He is the most practical thing I can do in my prayer life? I've got things i got to ask Him, petitions I need to bring to Him, things I need His answer on immediately ASAP. This is the why it's the most practical thing you can do. Think about this. When you lose someone, whether you lose the favor of a friend, you lose someone in your life due to death, or tragedy you going through something tragic even maybe in your own life experiencing some personal loss how many times if we're honest with ourselves does the reality of God or even the love of God serve as a consolation if we were to all be honest with ourselves not often Often when people approach us after a great loss and say, well, you you still have Jesus or you still have the love of God, it doesn't always seem to serve as a great consolation for the personal loss that I've experienced here in heaven. Why is that? Because we don't spend enough time adoring God. You see, if we were to spend the majority of our time being immersed in the reality of who God is, His greatness and His majesty and His love and His glory and His holiness, when we experience those times in our life, those practical moments in our life where we experience great loss, our hearts and our souls and our lives should be so immersed in adoring God that that should serve to be sufficient. You see, because we don't spend enough time adoring and praising God, it's only, he's only holy in theory, but not in practice. He's glorious in theory, but not in my everyday life. But when you pray this way, every day, constantly, you begin to train your heart and your soul and your life and your mind to be so in tune, to so... Uh, so in tuned and so wrap your mind around and your heart around the greatness of God you take that which is theoretical and abstract and you bring it down in the practicalities of everyday life so the first thing that we see is the adoration of God consuming our prayer lives the first thing that we go to taking that which is theoretical and abstract and making it practical for everyday life The second thing that we see in this prayer is the acceptance. The acceptance of God. In verse 10 it says what? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. By praying that in our prayer lives, we are accepting what? The very will of God. We are accepting that God is God and we are not. When we say this in our prayers, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we're saying this, the will that is found in the Scriptures and the will that is seen in God's will that is seen in my very life, we see it in Romans chapter 28, we see it in the life of Joseph, When all of the evil things happen to Joseph, and what does Joseph say? You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. When we begin to accept the will of God, you know what we're saying? We are accepting everything in our lives even if we don't understand it. And how badly do we need to do this in our prayer lives? How badly do we need to do this in our lives? And believe it or not, this is the most freeing thing that we can do. Because by saying your will, not my will, your will be done in my life, we are saying and admitting and acknowledging that which is true. God, you're the creator. God, I am your creature. You are God and I am not. It's actually the beginning of freedom where we begin to recognize our limitations. We begin to recognize our own capacities and the limits of our own capacities. Actually, by praying things like your will be done actually doesn't allow us to have to the burden of having to be controlling and manipulating of everything and everyone that we actually can begin to let go and accept God's will in our life so we see adoration and we see acceptance and lastly we see asking finally finally we get to ask God for something Verses 11 through 12 tell us what Jesus reminds us to ask for. And he breaks it into these categories. He says, give us our daily bread. That's basically asking for the the basics of life. And then he says, ask for forgiveness. Forgiveness of our debts. Jesus says, ask God for mercy and pardon for my conscience. And then he also says, but lead us not into temptation... He says, Jesus says, pray for strength to face the challenges of of today. And then he also says, ask that the kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven. Pray that the gates of hell will not prevail. So we can ask these things from our Father after we have adored Him for who He is and accepted His will in our lives. We can ask Him for the basics of life and for mercy and pardon and for strength to face the challenges of life and once again, praying that the gates of hell will not prevail. How often do we pray in our prayer groups or pray in private for us to be delivered from evil? For the kingdom of God to come down to earth. That as it is in heaven, it might be here on earth. That God, you would see in the midst of brokenness, your kingdom come. And that you would pray for yourself to be an agent of change. One who co-labors with God and co-labors with the Father to make all things new. So asking God for the small things like just give me my daily bread. But to the big things... Like, God, would you usher in your kingdom here on earth? And would you use me to be the very agent of change to make all things new? So we see the substance and the paradigm of prayer. And then lastly, the third thing. We see the foundation of prayer. We see the substance of prayer. And then lastly, we see the promise of prayer. Or you might ask it this way, the what confidence do we have in prayer? You know, I often hear people say, God's going to get tired of hearing from me. I mean, I go to God with the same thing over and over and over again. My spouse gets tired of hearing from me. My kids get tired of hearing from me. My friends get tired of hearing from me. The same problem and the same petition and the same prayer over and over again. What stops God from just putting me on mute? How do I know that every time I go to God in prayer, He's there And he listens. What promise do we have this morning? What confidence do we have that God will always hear us and that God will always listen? We see Jesus does something so profound. A few chapters later in the Gospel of Matthew, we see the story of the passion of Christ. And what happens in the passion of Christ is that we see a Jesus that not only teaches us how to pray, but he prays this prayer himself. What do I mean? It would be in the Garden of Gethsemane. It would be right before he was to be arrested. The night that he was betrayed, he is alone in the Garden of Gethsemane. And what does Jesus pray? He prays a part of this prayer. He says, God, there is a cup. There is a cup full of wrath and judgment. And oh God, would you let this cup pass from me? But what? But not my will be done. Your will will be done. He prays a part of the Lord's Prayer and he becomes the great Savior and substitute in that moment where he announces and declares that I will not only teach my people how to pray, but I will pray this very prayer myself. And it's in that moment he says, I will take the cup, the cup that they deserve, the cup full of wrath, and full of judgment, and full of scorn, I will withhold from these people, and I will take it on Myself. And then just a one chapter later, He prays on the cross, Father, forgive them. He prays for forgiveness, but He doesn't pray for forgiveness as it's seen here in the Lord's Prayer for Himself, but He prays it for others. And the only way, the only way that Jesus can pray for forgiveness on the cross Is if the debts have been satisfied. He does not have to say, forgive, forgive me for my debts. He says, forgive them, because he takes on our debts for us. You see, it would be in the Garden of Gethsemane, and it would be on the cross, where Jesus would not only teach us how to pray, but he would pray this prayer himself it would be in the garden that he accepts our punishment the cup and the wrath and it would be on the cross that he prays this prayer on our behalf and he on our behalf and he asks the father to pardon us once and for all forgive them and basically saying i will take their debts upon me And so the reason that we can pray today and tomorrow with confidence that he hears us is because Jesus not only teaches us how to pray, but he prays the prayer himself, ushering in and giving us full access forever. That is the good news of Christianity. It's the good news of the gospel that because of Jesus praying this prayer on our behalf and offering us full forgiveness by taking on our debts and pardoning us before the Father that we have the confidence that we can go to God our Father all day, every day without ever being turned away because we have been completely forgiven through Jesus Christ. And when you begin to pray with this confidence and you pray the prayer that Jesus prayed on your behalf, that Jesus prayed to save you, that's when prayer will begin to transform you and change you forever. There was a counselor several years ago that in his memoirs recalls a story of a grown man that he had been counseling for many years. And this grown man recalls the story of growing up in his father's home and He recalls stories of his father always being critical, constantly disappointed. And this grown man recalls stories of himself growing up under his father's constant criticism and constant disapproval, always longing for his father's affection, always longing for his father's approval. He says, I, I wasn't the man that his father was. I wasn't the thinker he was. I wasn't the reader he was. I wasn't the leader he was. I never actually remember my father being home. And when my father was home, he might as well not have been home. And as this young man grew up into adulthood, he found himself in living in secret, in isolation. And he went to this counselor for help because the pain of his childhood was being manifested as an adult. And the counselor asked him the question, What are you doing? What is really burdening you? What are you ultimately struggling with? And his lip began to quiver. And he says, As a child, I can remember my father watching football. I hated football, but I was desperate for my father's attention. And so every Sunday, I knew that if I was to get my father's attention, to spend some time with my father, I would have to climb up onto the couch and sit next to him. And without fail, he would tell me, only sissies don't like football. But I endured the pain because I wanted to be with my father. I wanted to be by my father's side. I just wanted to talk to my father. There's some here this morning that would long to talk to your father. You would long for your father's attention and approval and love. Hey, you know what the good news is this morning? The good news is this morning that because of Jesus Christ and his life for you and his death for you and his sacrifice for you on the cross, you can have access to God your father forever full access and full love and full approval and full forgiveness and pardon, and you have a Father that you can talk to forever. For those of you in Christ, that's what you have. A Father who listens, a Father who provides, a Father even when you mess up like a good, good Father doesn't turn his face but even comes in closer. And if God is who he says he is, answer the question why wouldn't you want to talk to this god why wouldn't you want to be in his presence and cry out to him and praise him and ask him and talk to him and pray to him all day every day jesus not only gives us access to god but he gives us access to god our father and if you're here this morning and you don't know god in this way the good news is for you this morning because of jesus because he took the cup that you deserved, because on the cross, he says, because of my life and because of my death and because of my resurrection, you can be fully pardoned and forgiven forever. You can have a relationship with Jesus right now and have access to God, your Father, for the very first time. Would you invite him in? Would you begin that relationship with him? The Father that you've always longed for. The promise of the good news of Jesus Christ is that we have full access to the Father. So why don't you go talk to Him? He's always home.